Well, you'll find in your bulletin the scripture passage that we'll read this morning from the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting in verse 41 to 47. As we considered last week, uh, the Great Commission and making disciples of all the nations and going about our day with gospel intentionality, we consider now how the Spirit of God, through that Great Commission, forms a unique community in the world that we call the church. And we see a glimpse, uh, a cameo vision of that church community here in Acts 2, 41 through 47. So hear now the reading of God's holy word. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, so far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it as we consider it and seek to apply it in our hearts now by the power and presence of his spirit among us. The columnist and author David Brooks, columnist for the New York Times, in one of his books, he argues that we in America, we have overdone the individualist worldview that we've leaned too heavy on individualism as a society. And he says that by conceiving of ourselves mostly as autonomous selves, well, we've torn our society to shreds. We've opened up division and tribalism, and we've come to worship individual status and self-sufficiency, and we've covered over what is most beautiful in each human heart and the soul. And he says that the result of this Leaning into the individualism is a loss of connection, a loss of solidarity and unity with each other. And we know this to be true, right? Especially today and especially in the, in the past uh, decade or so, that due to a whole host of factors, but especially, I think, the internet and social media, well, we have uh, today at our fingertips more access to the world's around us. We are more connected with people around the world than we ever have been, and yet we are lonelier than we ever have been. We live in a digital global village, they call it, a global village, and yet these individual people, our neighbors around us, neighbors in the world, they are lonely and without community. And Brooks, in his book, he argues that this void of community that in its place, we have resorted to what he calls tribalism. Tribalism is built, he says, on a mutual hatred for others. And we see this especially in politics, right? Which today is not so much about which party has the best policies, 
but rather it's a war between the saved and the damned, the good and the evil people. And each tribe is bound together primarily by their hatred for the other. This is a sad result of a lack of community. Whereas Brooks says that real community is connection based on mutual affection, a common love that they have together. Well, I'm convinced that people all around us, people in the city of Ontario, people, your neighbors on your street, your coworkers, people are starving for real community. Maybe you are starving for real community, for a real shared presence with other people that is built upon a common love and produces a deep joy that is bigger than yourself. And there are some good secular ways, sure, to build community in neighborhoods, and those are good and fine to participate in. But we see here in this story, in this text, the building of a sacred bond of community that is deeper and more enduring than anything that this world can offer. We see that the church is no tribe based on mutual hatred, but rather it is a community that is built upon a common love for Christ and his kingdom. As we study this text, I want us to see that when the Spirit of God is at work in the hearts of individuals, he creates a community, a community of truth, love, and joy. And this this is showing us here, this passage, what authentic Christianity looks like. People committed together to the truth, to a common love for one another that shows itself in action and deeds and to a shared joy that they have together as a community. So there's a lot here for us. Let's, let's dive in. First, looking at this unique community that is a creation of the Holy Spirit. It has divine origins. The text is telling us here, uh, showing us a story, uh, but it's actually the aftermath of a previous event. Uh, What happened previously in chapter 2 is that the apostles, according to Jesus' promise and direction, they were waiting there in Jerusalem, and they received the promise of the Holy Spirit who descended upon them, proceeding from the Father, sent by by the Son, and they were filled with the Spirit. And Peter, who once as a coward, denied his Savior three times, we now find him boldly declaring the truth about Jesus because he was filled with the Spirit. And thousands of the Jews that were there celebrating the festival of Pentecost, festival of weeks, well, they heard his message and they heard his main points about the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Christ, the promised Messiah, and that the promise of the Holy Spirit had come upon his followers. The very one that they crucified was in fact the risen Lord. And this was his community. And the Spirit upon them was evidence that he ruled and reigned. And this was a work of God. And so we see that everything that we read in our text is in fact a direct result of the gift of the Holy Spirit we see happening from the 3,000 converts added to their number to them day by day, eating in each other's houses and sharing life together. All of this is the work of the Holy Spirit blowing in their midst, having his way with their hearts. 
recreating them as an individuals and uniting them as a community of believers knit together in love the author luke he calls our attention to the divine source of this community in verse 47 saying the lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved so ultimately we see that these three thousand people that received peter's message that day with gladness and joy they they did so only because the lord god by his spirit called them out and gave them repentance and faith gave them the will to believe and receive the message and be baptized and this is how it always works for believers if you are a believer in christ it was the work of the holy spirit in your heart that brought you to him god's grace always comes first and this humbles us right to see that we belong to jesus because the spirit gave us repentance and faith and added us to his church salvation is always a gift of grace but it's more than just humbling there's more here it should also affect the way we see each other in community together what do i mean all of you from the youngest of you to the oldest just take a look around at the people here gathered in this place this is the church that god by his grace has brought you into this fold you can actually look around and look at each other Um, as we see each other i ask you did you choose them did they choose you no no and yet here we are right here we are why because christ chose us and brought us to this place by his spirit we belong to him we do not come here out of preference for ourselves personal preference we came here because the spirit has brought us here and chose us to be part of this community just like your biological family you kids you didn't choose your parents right you were born into that family whether you like it or not your your brothers and sisters well that's whom god chose for you your parents those are your parents by god's choice and so it is with the family of god we are his adopted children we were born into it and like one pastor pastor jay kim says in his book that like family we are bound to one another we did not choose it we were saved into it the only choice we have is how we will care for and cultivate this kinship that we have together this brotherhood we have with each other comes from the holy spirit the spirit who brought in the very beginning perfection to all of god's manifold works of creation the one who was there with him in the beginning is also the same spirit who forges the bond between brothers and sisters in christ in our hearts so whether or not you like it we are inseparably and eternally bound to each other as brothers and sisters in christ that is the spiritual reality that we must see and the more that we lean into that reality believing it more and more that we are a family in christ by the spirit well the more then we will actually show up like a family does for each other for its members in the good times and the bad times in the joys and the sorrows of life you expect your family members your relatives to show up when life gets hard when a loved one dies when you have a a specific financial need you expect relatives to show up well that's how we should expect the kind of love from one another as the family of god as well 
The Holy Spirit works in the hearts of individuals to form a family, a community with a sacred and unbreakable bond. It is a creation of the Spirit. Now, secondly, we see that this unique community, it is marked by three things. Truth, a commitment to truth, a common love, and a profound joy. And we see that this is what authentic Christianity is. First, the truth, the truth. In his commentary on this passage, John Stott, he says, the very first evidence Luke mentions of the Spirit's presence in the church is this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We note that those new converts were not enjoying a mystical experience which led them to despise their mind or disdain theology. No. Christianity is not does not pair with anti-intellectualism. The first evidence of the Spirit's presence in a church today is that people are devoted to the clear teaching of God's Word, the truth. According to Luke, a Spirit-filled church is not a group of people who are simply hungry for an ecstatic religious experience. No. A Spirit-filled church is one that is hungry for biblical teaching, hungry for the truth of God's word clearly explained clearly taught after they heard peter preach luke says that they were cut to the heart they were cut to the heart by the truth that was explained to them it pierced them they felt guilty in their hearts for what they had done because they rejected and they despised jesus but then they also gladly in their heart accepted the good news of forgiveness and salvation on that day as they heard the word preached to them They experienced the scriptures opened up before them like they'd never heard before. They saw with clear eyes the truth in a new way, and it rang down deep into the heart with truth. They knew it was true. And so naturally, as they experienced that truth, they wanted more. They wanted to hear more, learn more, study more from the apostles, the ones who walked with Jesus and knew him the best. Well, more, more of what? What did they want to learn from the apostles? Well, Luke doesn't tell us here what is specifically they taught, the teachings of the apostles, but we know, right, from reading the New Testament, which is the writings of the apostles. We know and discover in the writings of the New Testament that they were teaching about who Jesus was and is and how he fulfilled the Old Testament prophets, prophecies and the promises, etc. And so we can assume that there with those early converts, those who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, that he, they were showing them every promise in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus, every type and shadow realized in the person and work of Jesus. They were seeing how all the figures of the Old Testament came to their full perfection and glory in Christ. All the kings, all the prophets, all the priests found ultimately idealized and perfected in Christ. So we see that they were hungry for more truth about Jesus, as Paul says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. These early Christians, they wanted to know more about Jesus, their Savior, and how all of God's story fit together. They were hungry for the truth. And this is still the case for the church today. This is how we should think, that the first evidence that a church community is in fact spirit-filled is that they are devoted to the study of god's word that they're hungry for more truth about jesus 
And I can gladly say that here at Ontario URC that this has been true of us historically. We have been faithful by God's grace, faithfully committed to searching out the truth in God's word. Our ancestors before us have faithfully committed themselves to the study of God's word and preservation of it. We are not here for entertainment, right? We are not here for mere social interaction. We are not here simply for moral improvement either. We are here because we want to come under the full truth about Jesus, to know him more, to become like him in every way. And so if you're visiting us today, perhaps, I want you to know that true Christianity does not mean that you have to leave your brain at the door when you come into our church, into our community. No. There is good reason for what we believe, why believe it, why we believe it, and that the truth of God's Word, in fact, makes the most sense of the human experience. And we would delight to help you see that with us. We see that these early Christians were committed to the full truth and nothing else, and so must we. This early church was not a tribe connected by mutual hatred for others, but rather committed to the truth about Jesus. They were united the truth of the gospel and love for him, and this common love for the truth was the basis of their love for one another, which manifested itself in deeds and their actions. And that's the second evidence of the Spirit's presence among them, their love for one another. Uh, my professor in seminary, Dr. Johnson, Dennis Johnson, he says of this passage that Luke may not use the verbs and the nouns expressing love as other New Testament writers do, but here he shows us Christian brotherly love in action. This is what brotherly love in action looks like. You see, the more they studied the truth of God's word about Jesus, then the more they realized that they themselves do not belong to themselves, but instead belong to Jesus, their faithful Lord and Savior, and to his people. In verse 46, Luke says, day by day, they were attending the temple together. Together. The word there in the Greek for together means more than physically being in the same place. What he he's saying there, literally, is that they, are to be, that they were of one mind, of one accord, harmonious in their, in their thoughts, in their mind. And how did that happen? Well, because they were brought together by that common story, a common Savior and a common Holy Spirit that they all had a share in. And so that produced a real community, a real bond between them. It's interesting that the English word for community, you can probably hear it, it's rooted in the word common, common, community, common. And the same is true for the Greek word for fellowship, which is koinonia. Koine means common, common. And so koinonia is to share things in common with other people. And if you think about it, the more significant those shared things are, well, then the deeper the bond of love and unity there will be. And that's why these early believers, they started to share their daily life, their money, and their possessions with one another because they realized that because they belonged to Christ, they belonged to each other, and they shared so many spiritual realities together in Christ. 
The fourth century preacher John Chrysostom says of this text that they saw that they held spiritual things in common and no one there has more than the other. And they speedily came together to the same thing in common, even to the imparting to all. You see, they realized that despite their cultural differences, despite the, maybe the way they talked differently or looked differently, that they shared in common the most important things. And that's true of us as well in Christ. This is important because, as Dr. Johnson says, changes in the way we treat one another in community of Christ flow from changes in the way we see each other and our ability to see the holy presence of Christ, the Lord, among us. So the way we see other people changes the way we treat them. They treated each other differently because the truth changed the way they saw each other. As Paul says, it's a remarkable passage in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't think of each other just in fleshly terms. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The truth about Jesus tells me that if you are a believer, you are not just a human being. You're not just like every other human being walking on planet Earth. You belong to Jesus. The Spirit of God is within you, dwelling even now. And you are part of His new creation. That's what God's Word is telling me about you. And the more that I see that reality, the more I believe that reality about you, well, then the more it's going to affect the way I treat you, the way I talk to you, the way I relate to you. And so I want to ask you this morning, is that the way you see the other members of this church? Is that the way you see other Christians? Do you have this spiritual perspective? Or do you only see them as broken sinners? Or do you see them as forgiven brothers and sisters in Christ that are filled with the Holy Spirit and being remade into the image of God? What is your perspective? What dominates your your thinking of each other? Look again at verse 43. This is important. Verse 43 says, And fear came upon every soul. We might translate that awe, wonder. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. why, Why does he say that? Why did fear come upon them? Well, it's because God was at work among them. Yes, through the apostles, through the signs and wonders that they were performing, but also more than that, because of what God was fulfilling through them, the promises of God, His advancing of the kingdom, conquering evil little by little with the good in the hearts of the brothers and sisters in Christ, creating a, a unique fellowship and bond between them. You see, They were filled with awe because they were convinced that the Spirit of God was working in them and through them. That they were part of a a movement, a revival of God's grace. And so they were filled with reverence and awe. We need to see this as well. We need to have this perspective that God is at work. He is active in the lives of each other here in this church. Practically, we need to have our eyes looking towards the fruit that God is producing in the lives of each of us here as a church. Even as we see here in the early church, the Spirit, He primarily works through the acts of service, hospitality, words of encouragement, and the humility to confess sins to each other, 
and the grace to forgive. We need to be able to see that at work in the lives of each other. And sadly, maybe this is true of you, it's true of me. I confess that, well, like a fly is drawn to trash, often I'm drawn towards negativity, right? I'm quick to see my own flaws, and I'm quick to see the flaws in other people. And so, because of that, I'm blind to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of others often. And so this text, it convicted me. It convicted me of my own selfish pride that keeps me from recognizing and standing in awe of how God is changing lives, how he's renewing each and every one of you by the power of his gospel. And so I hope that this passage also challenges you in that way as well to begin to see each other differently in the light of the gospel, not just according to the flesh, but as part of the new creation. And that will affect the way we treat one another. And what better displays this this common bond, this unity that we have together, that we're part of the new creation, that we're united to Christ, the Spirit is at work among us, than the Lord's Supper, which is set before us each week. Look again at verse 42. Verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Well, many commentators have rightly noticed the importance of the definite article here in the Greek before the word bread. So it's not just saying, Luke is not saying that they devoted themselves simply to sharing meals together, but specifically to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. In his book, Dynamics of Spiritual Life, Richard Loveless says this, I believe that a return to a stronger view of the Supper and a more frequent communion advocated by the Reformers would immensely help, be immensely helpful to the spiritual life of churches today. This is true because the communion service is the most graphic embodiment of the primary elements of spiritual renewal secured in Christ's death and resurrection. It demonstrates the reality of our union with Christ in the most concrete manner possible. It also clearly indicates and celebrates the communion of saints that we have with one another. That's what the supper is communicating to us in a powerful and concrete way. And when we share the the one bread and the one cup together, we remember that we share together in one Christ, one Lord and Savior of us all. It reminds us that we are bigger than something other than just ourselves, that we belong to Him and His kingdom. It shows us visibly the spiritual reality of our fellowship together. And practically speaking, here in the early church, we see that this spiritual reality of sharing the bread together resulted in sharing life together with each other. And especially, we see, Luke emphasizes in their finances and their possessions. They could not bear to see each other in need, to see a brother or a sister in need suffering without daily sustenance, without a roof over their head, without proper clothing, etc. And so they were generous with their money and their possessions giving for the needs of each other. Luke tells us they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We see that this was not forced upon them by the apostles. 
They had no obligation to sell all of their possessions and their properties. They were selling these things and giving them and distributing them amongst them willingly, out of love, in order to meet the needs of others in the church. And this must be true of us as well. The more that we see that we share a common story, a common Savior in Christ, and the more we will give up our own possessions to help one another, our own money, in order to share in the partnership of the gospel ministry, in order to contribute to the advance of God's kingdom. The more we see our common bond in Christ and the more generous we will give to the benevolence fund here in our church and to support this local ministry so that all needs are met and God's work continues growing. Like our commitment to the truth, well, our financial giving, according to Luke here, is evidence of the Spirit of God creating community, a community of love that is not only in word, but also in deed as well. Lastly here, I want us to see in verse 46, in verse 46, that they had glad and generous hearts. Other translations say sincere hearts, joyous hearts. Luke is saying that this shared life, this community, produced a simple yet profound joy in their hearts together because they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Again, I I quote David Brooks where he makes a fascinating distinction between happiness and joy. He says, happiness comes when there is a victory for the self, when there's a victory for you personally, an expansion of your ego. Uh, For example, when things go your way, when you get a big promotion, when you score like a goal in a game, you get filled with the elation of joy, right? Or when you have a delicious meal and you're satisfying your, your desires. That's happiness, happiness. Happiness revolves around the self. On the other hand, joy is often self-forgetting because it involves the experience of something bigger than you. It transcends the self, like a mother gazing into the eyes of her newborn baby. It just overwhelms the joy and the sort of magic of the moment. Or a hiker who's out in nature and is just overwhelmed by the beauty of God's creation. Brooks says we experience joy when we feel like we have glimpsed into a deeper and truer layer of reality that is way bigger than ourself. It transcends the self. It's bigger than the self. And that's why Brooks, he says that a narcissist can be happy. Someone who's just self-absorbed, they can be happy. But a narcissist can never be joyful because the surrender of self is the precise thing a narcissist can't do. You can't give up yourself. Well, these early Christians, that's what they were doing. They were giving themselves up in love for one another, sharing all that they had with one another. And it didn't deplete them. It filled them with joy. They were filled with joy because they were getting glimpses of what God was doing among them, which was much bigger than themselves. They were part of a work of God. And they were filled with joy as they were committed to the truth, loving one another, This is the kind of community that Jesus, by His Spirit, builds in the church. And this is what we should aspire to and pray for, for Ontario RC more and more, that this would be the the truth and the case for us. But one last final word here, that as we press onward, as we seek to improve our community by the grace of God here, we must not fall into the error. This is very common. This is very 
uh, often the case, the error of loving the ideal, the ideal that we are wishing to come true in the future. You see, God is not calling you to love the idealized version of Ontario URC, what Ontario URC should be or could be in the future. That's not what God is calling you to. He's calling you to love the imperfect version of the church as it is today. He's calling you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ as they are today, now, here in this place. We remember that Jesus loved us not because we were already perfect. No, far from it. But in order to make us perfect, he loved us. And so, too, we are not to wait for our brothers and sisters to get all right and get all perfect or for the church to get perfect before we start to love it. No, rather... Following Christ's example, we are to love the church and love one another with the goal of perfecting it, the goal of seeing God's work through His Spirit improving us more and more. Well, may the Holy Spirit continue to forge this sacred bond and unite us in love and commitment to one another. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this challenging and comforting text as we see a glimpse uh, of the reality of authentic Christianity, which is produced as a creation of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we, we do not look to our own strength, our own efforts to improve ourselves or to improve this church community. We look to you and ask and beg that you would continue to improve us and mold and fashion us more and more into the image of Christ that you would continue to forge that bond of unity that we have towards one another and with one another, uh, and that more and more we would share life together day by day, even meeting the needs of one another. This so that others might see our good works and glorify you, that this might be to your praise and your, your honor and your glory until you come, Christ, to bring us to the perfection that we long for. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing a song of application number 410. 410, Christian Hearts in Love United. Uh, it's a common uh, melody that we'll recognize quickly. And uh, the lyrics very fitting to the scripture passage we read today. So let's stand and sing song of application 410, Christian Hearts in Love United. Christian hearts in love united, search to know God.